Welcome to Texas Style Coworking. The ranch office is a neighborhood community office that delivers a warm atmosphere with a heavy dose of Southern hospitality. Located in Memorial, Katy, and Baytown, we offer private offices, conference rooms, event space, and much more. Come change things up and check us out. Remember, life is better at the ranch. In a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes cost much more than dollars, we bring you expertise from around the world to ensure that everyone goes home safe every day. The internationally acclaimed Oil & Gas HSE podcast starts now with your host, Russell Stewart. Today, my guest on the show is Bill Walker. Bill is like a lot of guests we have on our show. He's got more letters after his name than he does in his name, but he's a CIH, which is an industrial hygienist. He's also a CSP. All of us in the safety world know what that is and the level that it takes to achieve that. Bill's the senior environmental health and safety leader for a company called Battalion Oil Corporation. Bill, thanks for coming on the show today. Sure. Honored to be here. Actually, I uh, should say my guest today is a returning guest because we had you on the show, wasn't it, about a year ago? Yeah, right about a year ago. But it's dangerous to give a safety guy a platform because we do like to tell stories and talk. So, Oh, we like stories on this. And in fact, I think we're going to jump right into that. Actually, you were on the show, I think it was about a year ago, somewhere in that neighborhood. You've also introduced me to at least two or three other people who have been guests on the show. But despite that, we had actually never met each other until just a couple of weeks ago. Battalion Oils, their corporate headquarters is in downtown Houston. But you actually, of course, you're all over the place out in the field and all that. But you actually office most of the time out of your home. Isn't that close to New Orleans? Sure is, yeah. I live in Bell Chase. I like to say I work out of my truck most of the time. Yeah, exactly. Your truck is your office. Yep, that's how it works. I have a refrigerator in the back seat. Keep my stuff. Oh, cold. do you really? I do. <laughs> Actually, I hadn't gotten that far yet, but that's probably a good idea. The ride to Midland from New Orleans is a long one, so uh, I oh, like to keep a couple boy. of cokes there. It really is. Folks, for those of you who aren't familiar with Texas and Louisiana, and in fact, all of you who aren't familiar with Texas, you have no idea how far it is from Houston to Midland. You had about another four hours from New Orleans to Houston, right? It's 12 to 13 hours, which yep. kind of underlines my disdain for flying these days. I do go to an airplane when I have to, but uh, <laughs> if it's going to be more than a few days, I just soon bring my truck with me. Exactly. Well, anyway, what I was trying to get around to is despite all this relationship between us, I never had actually met you until a couple of weeks ago when you were one of the featured speakers at the University of Texas in Arlington's semi-annual big oil and gas safety and health and environmental conference, which is a big deal that's held in Houston every couple of years. I sat in on one of your sessions. Did you have more than one session? I did. I was on a panel. I thought you did, yeah. yeah I was on a panel where we talked about defining serious illnesses and fatalities and how we can start to measure them effectively across the industry so we can come up with ways to better reduce that number. The statistics have shown over the last, I would say, 10 years, we've been really starting to gather this information that the what you do to reduce injuries, your hand and rolled ankles, sprained ankles, hand and finger injuries are different than what you do to prevent people from being seriously injured or killed. That's your falls, your electrocutions. And one of the things that I'd like to talk to you about today was an incident involving a confined space 
and how that resulted in a couple of serious injuries and fatalities. But we can get to that at the right time. Okay. All right. Well, I'll let you decide when that's the right time. I didn't know about that one. We may have to talk about more than one thing here. What I was wanting to bring you on in the session that I set in on, that's your role. You're the senior HSE guy at Battalion Oil, but you're chairman of an organization called Safeland. Is that right? That's correct. If we go back, I've been in my current role for a little over 10 years. And when I started here, we're uh, basically a startup exploration production company. And if you remember 2012, 2011, things were really blowing and going in the industry. There's a lot of activity going on. I remember it well. (laughs) It was a lot going on, but it was really fun times. I'll, I'll give it that. It really was. Yes, it was. So I started at what was then Halcon Resources, and we're starting from scratch, building an HSC management system from the ground up. At the same time, the company was hiring people every day, hiring VPs of operations every day. We're starting in new geographical areas. We're starting in the Bakken, well, in the Utica, I should say, in Texas. We had some coastal operations, had some Oklahoma operations. So we were just going and going. And it was everything that we could do to build the basic system. And when you're building an HSE management system, there's a lot of things that have to happen, beginning with risk assessment. What are the risks of the organization? And that's a challenge in a dynamic organization that's moving in different areas each month, it seems like. Getting your programs together, getting your management support, educating everybody on the expectations. It was a time of a great amount of work and a great amount of change. As we're focusing on this and bringing on drilling rigs and bringing on contractors. Our business development team bought a company that was based in Texas, but had some Bakken operations. At the time, there were no employees associated with this asset. There was a contract roustabout company that was kind of managing some legacy production. But from a risk perspective, it didn't fall into the top of our list. And so that's where we were. We're focusing on building our HSC management system. We bought this asset. And I'm going to tie this back into Safeland. Just be patient. (laughs) I actually know where you're going, but just to make sure everybody's understanding the picture here. So you got a bunch of old production or a bunch of production sites or tank batteries sitting out there in the middle of North Dakota, right? In the wintertime. Right, right. Where it gets really, really cold. Yeah under a couple of feet of snow. And really, we had done due diligence. We knew the condition of the assets. The assets were fine. There wasn't much activity going on at that time. So that was, we were planning where we were going to send rigs and what we were going to do to take over those assets. So we hadn't got that far into the post-acquisition operational phase yet. So this would have been December, maybe 2013. So one of the produced water tanks was a fiberglass tank and developed a leak which is kind of a non-critical failure, wasn't a big deal. So the lead roustabout made the decision. Except you're spilling salt water all over the place. Well, it was a little. It was in containment. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Plus it was wintertime, I guess. So (laughs) It needed to be addressed. There's no question about that. So they prepped the tank. They got the tank prepped. They drained all the water out, and then they had to find somebody to fix it. So they called into a company that specialized in fiberglass repairs, and they called another company. Now, you say they. You don't have any employees up there, so you're using a subcontractor roustabout company or some kind of? That's correct. That's right. So we're dealing with a sub. That's number one, okay? Yep. And this was a pretty low 
key failure. This is not something we needed to develop an AFE and get two vice presidents to sign off on it. This was a real low level decision that was made. We got a crack in a tank. Let's get somebody out here to come patch it we'll up. We'll fix it. Yeah. Right. Okay. And the industry make those decisions a thousand times a day. And again, the setting is it's about five degrees below zero between five and 15 degrees below zero, depending on how the wind's blowing out in the middle of the Bakken away from civilization. So eventually they found a couple of guys from the fiberglass company to come out and patch this tank and they patch it. The tank is prepared for them. It's isolated. It's drained. It's cleaned, ready for them to go. But again, we don't have anyone supervising them. They told them the tank was ready and the guys show up to fix it and they do the fix. Up until that point, there were no obvious failures that we saw, but the next step was the fiberglass wasn't curing properly because of the temperature. So these guys, and they were really, I call them kids, they were in their early 20s. I think one was 21, one may have been 23, 25, had to cure the fiberglass, had to get it set up. So they decided to take a heater, put it in the tank, and heat it up so it would set up. Well, if you know anything about fiberglass, in using fiberglass, you use a lot of acetone. There's other solvents, styrene, and different things in there. And in this tank, they have built up a flammable concentration. And most of your listeners could probably guess what happens next. They plug in this heater. There's an explosion. One of the guys was in the tank. One of the persons, the other helper, was in the manway. And when the tank lit off, it went from our calculations about 15 feet in the air, came back down and landed about eight feet from where it originally sat. Oh. Their lives were changed forever. They're very fortunate that they weren't killed. I was going to say their lives were changed. You mean it didn't kill them, huh? It didn't kill them, but one of the guy's hip was permanently damaged. I think he had to have a hip replacement at 25. There were severe burns. It was a legitimate tragedy. And if there are any safety guys listening, they know this is very easily preventable. Number one, the guys... If they recognize the hazard, which I'm not sure if they did or not, there are different ways to control these types of hazards. And it's implementing a confined space entry program system, permit system, doing some gas testing, having a hot work permit. I'm a true believer in the responsibility of an employer to manage the environment and the education of their employees. So I don't want to take anything from their responsibility to do things the right way. When you hire somebody to do your taxes, there's an expectation that They know how to do your taxes, right? I think it's the same thing with this situation. But you also have a responsibility to yourself to do some due diligence and to make sure that they can do this work and to make sure that they understand the work that you're asking them to do. We really had to go back and look at our contractor management system. What are the expectations of us as an operator when people come on our property to do work? And how can we mitigate the risks associated with those operations? One of the things that we ended up with was making sure that they had the basic risk awareness. Everyone that comes on our job site, whether they're hauling water or doing welding or doing a fiberglass repair, make sure they recognize the risk, the obvious risk associated with doing work in an oil and gas facility. And that's where I became involved with SafeLand. So SafeLand is an orientation that's probably 10 years old, maybe 12 years old now. And it really focuses on safety fundamentals. It's a seven-ish hour course. 
that talks about everything that you might be generally expected to experience when you're an oil and gas site, you know, from flammable liquids and particulates and hazard communication, what type of PPE, just to give the worker that's moving from either new to the industry or coming from some other job, a basic awareness of the hazards that they may face and some basic risk assessment techniques does not replace any training and employer of that person is still expected to do training to educate them on all the risks that they face with their company. But this is just a basic orientation. So there's a fundamental understanding of what they're getting into. We made the decision to require all of our contractors to go through SafeLand. Now that's asking a lot. We have a nationwide operation. And when we ask when the EHS folks ask that of their operations, we have a requirement to provide, make sure it's a value-added endeavor because this is very expensive to require every single contractor to attend this course. It's got to have good quality control. It's not just a check in the box. We really want to impact these guys' lives and make sure that they recognize the risks they're going through. Let me interrupt you right there because I'm sitting here thinking to myself and probably some other folks are out there listening, and I may get in trouble for saying this, but I was just thinking this when you used the term check the box. What you actually did here was you made people actually invest in safety training and not just, and I'll probably get in trouble for saying this, but not just writing a check for five or $600 and getting somebody to copy and paste all that stuff in a book so you could show it to you as a contractor and show it to the operator and say, see here, I got my safety plan. Yep. That certainly exists. Like I said, I don't want to get in trouble here, but that's one of the reasons for this podcast. We are, as it says in the introduction to the show, everybody coming home safe. And what you mentioned a while ago about all the steps you could have taken in that confined space, little explosion there, and everybody looks at those things and says, oh, that's a pain in the butt. Those things are necessary to keep these things from happening. Sure. And to your point, these, you know, call them paper tigers out there, these safety plans that have never been reviewed or much less implemented. You know, I'm a big believer in the 80-20 rule. I'm not sure what side is following, whether 20% of the people have HSE management plans or 80%. (laughs) It's one of those two, and your own experience may vary. But we do know that there is a big gap. And if we look at what we see in the Permian and the Delaware right now, it's not uncommon for there's such a scarcity of qualified contractors. It's not uncommon for a lead welder to break away from his company, take two of his hands with him and start his own company. Yeah. As operators, going back to that diligence and going back to partnering and finding good, reliable people that will show up to work that want to do the work, we help them with their HSE management programs. And SafeLand plays a part in it. It certainly doesn't replace any training and it doesn't replace any advanced HSE management system, but it does play a part. And it gives us a little bit of confidence that people have at least been exposed to the concepts. Yeah. So you started requiring your contractors to do this. I'm just curious about it. Now, SafeLand was just starting up then or had it been around for a while? About two, maybe three years at that point. Okay. So most of your contractors had not taken the SafeLand training, right? It's a bit geographically dependent, but what we found is that it was readily becoming adopted throughout the industry. So one of the key points about SafeLand is one of the things we do is try to eliminate redundancy. So if you had to go through this training or this orientation with ConocoPhillips or Chevron or some other operator, well, you didn't have to do it again for every operator. If you've got a small welding company and you've got to send your guys out for a day of training 
for every new contractor or every new contract oh, yeah, you get, right. it can be quite expensive. And that's one of the advantages of SafeLand. Right. So it's reciprocal amongst many, many operators. Ah, okay. It was becoming widely accepted. And the other part of it was it's somewhat unique to SafeLand. It has a large geographical covering. So there are literally trainers in every state or almost every state, certainly in every oil and gas producing state. And there is a quality control. One of the problems with many safety programs or the documentation of safety programs is like you mentioned, you pay $500, you get a certificate and you don't really get any benefit from it. With SafeLand, there's a requirement for a proctor. There's a requirement for people to be on site. There's a requirement that you have a classroom. There's a requirement that the trainers be qualified. It's a normal distribution. So some trainers are better than others. You have had a, a lot of really good trainers and some that are exceptional and some that are probably should be weeded from the system. And there are processes and procedures and audits and checklists to kind of help that process along. As I'm implementing SafeLand, I said, well, if I'm requiring all these contractors to sit through this class, if I'm requiring my drilling manager and my ops manager to force all of their vendors to go through this class, I need to make sure it stays a good and value-added proposition. So that's when I started getting involved with the board. And yeah, 10 years later, I'm still involved with it, still passionate about the project. And now I'm the chair. Well, that's great. Okay. So today you're going to drill a well and I want to be the mud company. And I'm one of those guys, like you said, I'm a pretty darn good mud engineer. And I went and found me two or three other guys that are good mud engineers. And we kind of started our own deal and you actually know if you use us we do know what we're doing as far as drilling fluids go you're not going to get some rookie out there that one of the majors might send out there uh, but anyway i want to get qualified to go to work for you i got to take the safe land training right 99 percent of the time i mean there, there are no absolutes in oil and gas right so okay um, but that's the general plan so what you're introducing here was pre-COVID. So you're talking about classrooms and all that sort of thing. What are we doing today? Is it still classrooms or is it virtual or what are we doing? If I can get into the structure of SafeLand a little bit, because one of the things that makes it unique and one of the things that keeps me engaged in it, it's not a monolith. It's not just one organization that provides these orientations. So there are many, many different instructors out there, but there are three organizations that are authorized to accredit SafeLand programs. One is ETC, which is the organization's nonprofit in Oklahoma, and their focus is on nonprofits and member companies. And they have a unique way of approaching SafeLand. They have their own train the trainer and their own program, and it's independent and separate than the other bodies, but it meets the same objectives. Then we have University of West Virginia, which is an OSHA ed center, and covers the Appalachian region, but they also have instructors nationwide. You actually introduced me. She was on my uh, podcast here a few months ago. Tiffany's fantastic. Tiffany's yeah. really good. And she's the new director of that group. Okay. So now I think I was a little confused when I went to the session. So I'm that contractor. I was just talking about that mud company wants to go to work for you. I need to take safe land training. The way I do that is I either contact ETC, Veriforce, or the University of West Virginia, maybe depending upon where I am, and then I get my training from them. 
Yep. Okay. I got it. Okay. They all have different pricing schedules. They all have different ways to deliver the program. There's a lot of variability. So if Air Force is the is the third one, and they probably do the most training because they're a commercial organization and they have a lot of trainers out there. And quite frankly, they market it the best. The nonprofits have their niche. They have their areas where they're comfortable with, but they're not probably working as hard to grow their business. This is a for-profit company because they have a mandate with their nonprofit mission. And I think that's great. So it gives you as a customer a lot of variability into how you decide where you want to get your training and the type of training that you want to get. Now, what we do as the Safe Land Board is we make sure that there's consistency in the way that these organizations do it. So they have to have the same type of tests. They have to have the same expectations for classroom. And then recently, to answer your question, we've authorized a methodology for them to deliver distance learning, but not CBT. So it's not computer-based training. So there has to be a live instructor there to interact with the students, and there has to be the same testing protocols, et cetera, but it can be done in a non-classroom environment. It's a classroom over the internet, so to speak. Yeah, virtual classroom, if you will. Right, exactly. All right. I want to take the Safe Land training, so I don't even know what ETC stands for. So to find these people, and I never heard of Air Force, actually I have, but anyway, most people, and I interviewed Tiffany, they offer all kinds of safety training and certifications and stuff. But anyway, the best thing for me to do is go to the SafeLand website and then I can find these providers. That's correct. You can Google it and it's got a pretty wide number of people that are offering the training and you can peck around and you can find a vendor that's close to you. I think on the SafeLand website, there are links to a map where you can actually pick out your geographical area and find all the authorized instructors in that geographical area. You can search by zip code or just looking at the map by the city. And then I guess on the website, you've got various different training programs, or is this just one specific seven-week course, or what are we talking about here? Yep. So we started with an orientation, and that was our mandate. And about 2019, after doing this for about 10 years and modifying it and honing the orientation, which is the basic safety fundamentals, as an organization, we want to know, we're always challenging ourselves, what can we do to bring workers home safely in the oil and gas segment, the energy segment, and certainly beyond. Recently, we started looking at other products, and we always want to answer the question, how can we ensure quality, provide choice, and reduce redundancy across the industry? I always look at things from the contractor's perspective, but I also look at things in terms of how I do my job because my relationship with SafeLand is not my job. My job is to represent Halcon as an operator or now battalion. And make sure everybody comes home safe. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. On our projects, where can we find ways to reduce redundancy, cost to contractors, but still ensure a quality? The next thing we looked at was H2S training. And when we looked across the world, there's a million different ways to get H2S training, some of them 15 minutes up to eight hours. As somebody who's evaluating that, it's really difficult for me as an operator to evaluate every single person's H2S training beyond what's on their card. If there was a way for us as SafeLand to evaluate the programs, put our stamp on it, that way the users can look at this and say, okay, well, it's been vetted. The information's been vetted. The material we know is going to cover the information required in the ANSI standard, and there are some rules associated with it, then it can give me as a buyer some assurance of quality. 
We've recently endorsed H2S trading. And there's a couple of other programs we're looking at, respiratory protection and other things associated with that. The newest one, the one we're pretty excited about, is a defensive driving training that we're doing in a partnership with the Permian Basin Road Safety Coalition. It's focused primarily, our initial rollout will be focused in January, primarily on the Permian Basin, but this is going to be a nationwide program because as we look at our incidents in oil and gas, white pickup trucks are still a big risk and they're all over the place. Yeah, like the biggest in the Permian right now, a lot of people tell me. Absolutely. It's trending down. It trends up with activity. It's something that is, you know, myself included, it's very easy to become complacent. When you've got a 13-hour drive and you're knocking off at noon and say, yeah, I could probably make it. A little bit of journey management, decision-making, trying to understand the motivations for people and why they're making decisions. And it's just a reminder. Again, Safeland is not the solution. It's a part of an overall HSE management philosophy that we're trying to get throughout the regions, throughout our contractors and other operators. You know, I think that's a very good point that you make there. I don't know that there is a, maybe some people would disagree who work for the companies, but this one size fits all thing and this, we've got the Senequinon program here and we don't need to look at anything else or we don't need to investigate anything else. There's a lot of moving parts to this and you need to always be touching up the safety picture there. And there's lots of great ways out there to do that. There's no silver bullet. It's easy to draft up how to do things. Actually doing all these things and executing is where the challenge is. And it takes people and it takes commitment. It takes leadership. And I can tell you the culture that I experience today in the oil and gas industry is the best that I've ever seen it. I would put it up against any industry, up against utilities or manufacturing or maritime or service industries. The oil and gas workforce is committed to doing things the right way. Again, there's a distribution of people. Some are uneducated in how to do things the right way, but by and large, almost everyone wants to go home and they're willing to do what it takes to get there. And we just need to keep our finger on the pulse of what motivates people and avoiding complacency and keeping everyone educated. But I'm showing my age here a little bit, but when I started in the early 90s, it was a totally different world. Yeah, it was. And that's another reason for a show like this is to hear what you just said and to have people hear this. And folks, what you just heard, you need to shout that out from the mountaintops. People need to know that that's where our industry is now. And yeah, it is true. You can go back in history. You can go back in time and maybe even go back in recent history, if you want to call the 90s recent history. Yeah, there's been a lot of changes. And I really appreciate you saying that, Bill. Sure. And it's not just on the safety side. Environmental, health. I was going to say one of the conversations I have with my children are, do you want to get your fossil fuels, whether you want them or not, we're going to be using them for a long time. Do you want to get them from a place that is committed to methane reduction, is committed to doing things the right way, that has people that are going out and looking at their wells with FLIR cameras and making sure that the leaks aren't happening? And if there are leaks, that they're addressed. Or do you want to get it from some other company where it's just open the valves and let everything go? We've matured. We're not there yet, and we'll never be there. So it takes a mindset of continuous improvement. And that's where we are today is only gas business. That's absolutely right. That is music to my ears. I guess you can come back on again. We're going to have to talk about that other topic with those minor injuries versus SIFs or whatever. Sure. I'd love to. That sounds kind of interesting. Well, folks, 
if I do say so myself, this has been another great show. I encourage you to this concept that they came up with, the Safeland concept, is if you didn't know about it, now you do, and you can check it out and see how it can benefit you. So thanks for listening. As always, we hope that you feel like it was worth your time to listen and that you'll come back and listen again. Please tell your friends to listen. Post us on LinkedIn, your other social media. Leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or the review link that's in the show notes. And please tune in again next week for another episode of Knowledge Vines OGGN HSE podcast. And we'll see you next time. Tune in next week for another engaging episode of the Oil & Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.